0: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown.
1: And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
0: Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me tonight on this Monday night, it's been a little bit co-host will miles you can find him at will miles SEC on Twitter his site read and reaction read reaction.com and on YouTube at read reaction as well will since we have gotten together some uh, some t- some talks of Florida and looking ahead to the 23 season coming out of spring practice of course everybody's had their spring games now so of course uh, not long after that we'll probably get some updated projections, updated rankings, and we certainly got him here through through DraftKing and, and their Vegas thoughts of Florida's win total, but also the uh, the ever-so-popular ESPN-FPI.
1: Yeah, man. Hey, it's nice to see football's just around the corner. We all get to have a good time this summer, and by the time we get back, it'll be time for Utah. So it's it's nice to be coming out of spring practice, a little bit of certainty about what's going to happen. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad, depending <laughs> upon what, what position we're talking about, but football's on the horizon that's always fun time um you know august like the last week in august first week week in september is is like my christmas man so when when that kicks off it's like all right let's go get this done so looking forward to it and uh hopefully florida can outperform some of the projections we're gonna be talking about tonight
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, we'll talk some recruiting as well. Kind of busy time right now. Uh, commit late last uh, last Friday, of course, late last week. So, I uh, had an episode about that, but you know, we'll get into it just a bit, just in case you missed that episode. And Will and I together for the first time since that commitment of Isaiah Williams, the wide receivers, and also uh, just some recruiting news. A lot of visits happening for the Gators over the weekend, uh, and some recruiting news as well. So, everybody, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button before we get into this episode of Gators Breakdown. Those likes and subscribes go a long way in support. You can also support us at Gators Breakdown Plus. Um, your, uh, the link is in the description there to join. You get the Discord server, the conversation going on there all the time, ad free episodes on the podcast version. And one more time, of course, don't forget the Florida Victorious $2 million match challenge for the month of May. Every new pledge, one time pledges as well, and membership signups will be matched up to a total of $2 million. Let's make $2 million, $4 million, double the impact this month. Link is in the description to join Florida victorious. So, well, let's get into it. And this was last week. Uh, and really, really uh, maybe shocking to some Gator fans, maybe a realization for some Gator fans. Some not surprised. Some, uh, A lot of people did agree with this. But DraftKings put out their season win totals last week. And we'll just stay with the SEC for now, of course, because – it's where Florida resides, and you have to go pretty much all the way to the bottom, Will, before you find Florida and their win total only higher than Vanderbilt. When you look at the SEC, 2023 win totals by Draft DraftKings, no surprise at the top here at the SEC, Georgia, 11.5. That's what the over-under is for Georgia Alabama ten and a half, Tennessee and LSU both at nine and a half, then a group of seven and a half, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Texas A&M all sit at seven and a half for their over under win totals here. Then a big group of six and a half, of over under, South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri, Mississippi State, and Auburn all at six and a half. one game better than Florida sitting at five and a half for their over under win total. And then Vanderbilt bringing it up in the SEC at three and a half. Will your initial reaction to seeing Florida and their five and a half over under win total from DraftKings? Uh,
1: my initial reaction is is that those last two games of the year really color people's opinions. The way the season finished, I think, colors people's opinions. Because anybody who saw the South Carolina-Florida game last year wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, yeah, South Carolina-Florida, right? Um, uh, like, you, you, would, you would have the over-under for those teams, like, dead even. Same thing, Kentucky game was close. Missouri has been worse than Florida for the last three or four years. The other thing is, when you look at this from an over-under perspective, all the SEC East teams are in the right-hand column, of <laughs> <in> Georgia <laughs> and, and Tennessee, Tennessee, which means – which means there's a lot of variance here, right? I mean, Florida's being picked at five and a half. That's where the money's going, right? People were banging the under if it if it had come in uh, coming a little bit higher than that, and so you put it in a place where you want people to make the bet. So there you getting, go. That's what you have a- to
0: remember. This this is about making money for Vegas. So they're, they're gonna they this line is they're gonna see they want to see a lot of people at six. They want to see a lot of people at five, and <laughs> we'll see where it goes when the season as we get closer to the season.
1: Yeah. Well, and let's see where the number goes, right? Yeah. Because if the yeah. number goes to six or if the number creeps up to six and a half, then that says that people think they're getting value at Florida at five and a half. And I think that's maybe the first thing I think of when I see this is I go from a gambling perspective, five and a half for Florida, just based on past history is a value pick because even poor Florida teams tend to go like seven and five. And so, you know, we've had a couple of six and seven seasons and those have been bad. So you've already reached the over under in those seasons and the idea that you'd be able to do it again. Hey, I see that. And look, there's, there's the powerhouse of Georgia in the East, Tennessee, everybody's picking, but they got a lot that they got to replace too. And it turns out when your quarterback leaves, um, that usually has an impact on things. And other than that, it's all SEC West sitting over there in the, in the higher over under category, which really means Florida's going to have an opportunity. Are they better than Vanderbilt? Yeah, but they didn't show it last year. Are they better than Missouri? Yeah. Are they better than Kentucky? They should be. And then South Carolina, it's all going to depend on how Spencer Rattler plays. So, you know, look, I I think you can go through Florida's schedule and a lot of their games are sort of toss-ups. And the question you have to ask is: We'll do that. We'll do development that. Development and all that sort of stuff going to allow those toss-up games to be five hundred. Is it going to be you know four to one in Florida's advantage or one to Florida, Florida's detriment? And that'll sort of determine where this number ends up. But five and a half, my first indication that that's reasonable. That's pretty low compared to what I would have thought it was going to be.
0: Yeah, I think I would have went at six and a half, and then seeing Auburn at six and a half and new coach you Freeze, you know they're awful for the last couple of years as well. Seeing Auburn at six and a half and Florida five and a half—that's probably my first reservation. I was like, okay, I, you might can sell me five and a half on Florida. I won't—I won't fight you too much on that. But then to see Auburn at six and a half, I'm like, nah, okay. I mean, I, I get it. I—I I, I get it. You know, Florida's schedule is going to come into play a bit too. We'll get into that in just a second. You're at a conference opponents being Utah, being FSU. You know, you total that into an SEC schedule, and of course, it's going to probably affect that win total that Vegas is going to throw out there right now, but. Yeah, I have a hard time accepting the fact that they have Auburn at 6.5, Florida 5.5. I mean, look, Texas A&M was awful last year, underachieved like crazy, and two games better than than, than Florida with an SEC West schedule to go along with that. And, you know, it's just – those are probably the ones that that, that stand out a bit uh, a bit to most to me. Uh, Missouri six and a half too probably uh, as well. I know they've recruited better than they have uh, in in, their, in kind of their history. A really good recruiting class two cycles ago that they maybe be benefit now in in, in this year. So that gets them up to six and a half. But you know, I think maybe seeing Auburn Missouri at six and a half m two games better at seven and a half. And I know they've recruited really well. That has a, probably a lot to do with that. But then being in the SEC West and maybe those two games better than, than where Florida sits right now, that's where, you know, if, if I would have saw Florida at six and a half, I don't, I don't think I would have batted an eye. I would have been total agreeance with it. Uh, but seeing them at Florida, seeing Florida at five and a half, and where they have some other teams, that's probably where I do have a little bit of reservation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Arkansas is the one that jumps out at me. Arkansas, when you look at the defensive performance, they were down there with Florida and Vanderbilt in terms of the worst defenses last year. KJ Jefferson at quarterback, so I understand why um, they've got them higher. But again, who are they facing? Right? I mean, look at yeah. the teams that they have to face who are sitting in front of them. You figure that's going to drive that down. But again, if you're going to put a bet on somebody for over, you're going to pick a guy with a proven quarterback. That's why Missouri is shocking because it's yeah. Brady Cook. I mean, geez, he's like Graham Mertz-Light. They're in Missouri. I don't <laughs> think that we're – like I'm not looking at it going, oh, Brady Cook's going to win Missouri a bunch of games. Same thing, Levis leaves Kentucky. Now, I actually think Kentucky's probably going to be better just by subtraction for, uh, for Will Levis, sort of like Bill Simmons' Ewing Theory type of thing going on there because I'm not a Will Levis fan. But, yeah, I mean, look, the SEC last year was Georgia, Alabama, kind of Tennessee, and then a whole grouping of teams. LSU got fortunate in some one-score games. Florida not so fortunate in one-score games, and that was sort of the differentiation between all of those teams that were in the middle. So you're looking at this between five-and-a-half and 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 seven-and-a-half. It's you know three-quarters of the conference, and it's all those teams that were sort of grouped in the middle. So that's going to be the question, right, is – Where can Florida make gains where they were bad last year where they're going to be average this year, or where they're able to maybe take a gain from where they were average to where they're good, and then how do they minimize the reductions in terms of their overall production? And that's one of the good things, is that Florida was really effective between the 20s, but was really bad in the red zones on offense. And so they don't have to necessarily be as good on offense to put up the exact same numbers. And the defense was so bad that they're going to improve somewhat, regardless of, of what happens. They can't be as bad as they were last year. I just don't think it's possible. And so that right there makes me say you go over five and a half just because I think the offense is going to be able to be as good as it was last year, at least in terms of points. I think they'll be less effective. I think it'll be less fun to watch, but I think from a point perspective, they'll probably be pretty close to what they had last year, and then the defense is not just going to be Swiss cheese. Um, it might be against Georgia, might be against Tennessee, but when you get in those games against Missouri and Kentucky and South Carolina, we'll be in for some rock fights, and Florida's just going to have to come out on top of a couple of those, and all of a sudden, you'll be looking at you know six, seven, or eight wins. Yeah, so five and a half there in Vegas by DraftKings,
0: of course. You know, we'll look at maybe at some point, look at some other books and, and see what they have there. I think you'll see Florida around that five and a half, six and a half for most books out there. Uh, but one reason to feel a little bit better, I mean, this is the up and down part of this and goes into it. So five and a half, the win total by Vegas. Well, Will, if you go to ESPN and their FPI and their predictor, well, they feel a little bit better about Florida. They're telling you if you go to Vegas, you better be hitting the over, is what the ESPN and FBI is saying. They give Florida an 82.2% chance, Will, to win six games. Now, I went and dived into the FBI, and that is one column there is their chance to win six games. Uh, every team's chance to win six games And with Florida sitting at five and a half, ESPN says, okay, go, go with it. You got an 82% chance of, 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 of of beating that five and a half there in Vegas. So one more time, ESPN FBI gives Florida an 82.2% chance to win six games and you see it right here. Uh, ESPN, the FBI, well, they got Florida ranked 18th. You know, you look at top 25 rankings and college football pieces and magazines to be coming out. We've seen all the kind of post-spring, uh, post-after uh, you know, the national championship game as well. And no surprise to us, Florida is nowhere to be found in top 25 rankings right now. But one out there, the FBI, now don't get me wrong, this is not, uh, you know, a, 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 one of the best metrics out there. You know, we've had our quarrels with the FBI before, and it does some good. They do some bad. They kind of all over the place sometimes, but it is one metric to go by out there. And one right now will that
1: has Florida 18th. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I think the question is so Florida doesn't have a talent deficit to most of the teams are going to play this year. Correct. They, you know, when it comes to Georgia, yeah, they got a talent deficit. When it comes to LSU, they have a talent deficit. This seems more talented than Florida State, more talented than South Carolina, Arkansas, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Charlotte, Tennessee, McNeese, and I think even Utah. Now it's a lot of young talent, and so I think that's the thing. Is when you look at like Phil Steele's magazines, he tends to look at like both. The talent level that they have, but then also the number of returning players that they have and sort of formulates that into a win total. So that's going to be the question is how does this team coalesce? But look, last year you had a talented team, but you had guys getting kicked off the team in the middle of the year. You had a defense that just couldn't stop anybody. I'm kind of amazed there weren't more finger pointing that was going on. You had a quarterback who was up and down every single game. So, and that team still managed to go six and seven. Now, look, was it perfect? No, they went one and four and one score games, though. You turn that around and go two and three or three and two, and all of a sudden, and you're, again, you're looking at a seven or eight win team. I think the baseline here is sort of five, right? I mean, you look at McNeese, Charlotte, and Vanderbilt. The FPI has it at you know ninety plus percent for all three of those. So if you if you if you say I'm three and zero in those, then they got a bunch that are toss ups, right? Tennessee, Florida State, Missouri, Arkansas is at sixty six, so they think the Gators are going to beat them, and then South Carolina fifty eight. So a few toss ups there, a couple where Florida should be favored pretty heavily. You know, maybe you drop one of those, but even if you drop one of those and then drop the rest of the ones where you're not favored, you're you're sitting at you know seven and five. So I th- I think you know five and a half is a gift for people who want to gamble. Um, I I will go put money on that on uh, <laughs> on Fanduel if they have it on there after uh, after the podcast. There we
0: go, there we go. So let's go through it. Will the ESPN FPI and the percentage of Florida wins here? At Utah, they give Florida a 297 percent chance to go to Utah and win that game. Basically, thirty percent chance for Florida to go to Salt Lake and win that game there. You know, I and, got a qu- I got a question yeah. for you. Is is Ryzen gonna play? That's you know that is the big question. Uh, and you know, coming off that injury in a bowl game again for the second year in a row, and I don't think there's a clear answer to that. Will uh, I? I think they're probably optimistic he plays. Uh, but yeah, I mean any any kind of setback in fall camp. And you're asking yourself that question. So maybe yeah, if you can go find an early line on Florida, Utah right now in Vegas, you might want to go take it.
1: Well, cause right now Utah versus Florida rising versus Mertz. I go, okay, that's advantage. Utah. Yeah, but if it's random Utah quarterback who's been <laughs> terrible when Rising's gone out for the last two years versus Mertz, well, now you know. Look that that Wisconsin offense looks terrible, but um, you know at least it's somebody who's got thirty something starts under his belt. So that's one to watch out for because I think you know it's this isn't something where Rising's going to have a full off season to work with with his receivers and sort of you know take a leap forward this is going to be is he able to maintain what, where he was at in his level of play last year this isn't the first serious injury he's had maybe that's why it's a 29% but um, you know I, I just look at this and say Florida's a more talented team except at the quarterback position and so if there's no advantage at quarterback position I think that one jumps up quite a bit
0: yeah um, so with this they go McNeese next of course 99% chance to win that game uh, and then maybe a bit of a surprise Because the game is at home, I would assume here, but Tennessee, they have Florida as percentage chance to win 51.7, basically a toss up uh, right there. But you do get Florida with some favorable odds uh, right there, according to the ESPN FPI. Uh, Charlotte, 96.3% at Kentucky, 48.4, basically another toss up right there as well on the road at Kentucky right there for Florida. Vanderbilt ninety point four, a team that beat Florida, you know, for as a big surprise last year. They don't beat Florida all too often, uh, but they still, you know, are not taking too much from that game last year. Will give Florida a ninety percent chance to beat Vanderbilt, and then at South Carolina, still Florida. You know, I do think. And this is the ESPN FBI. I do think if you go to Vegas, well, you Will, you would not find Florida. Of course, you know, we, we just kind of went through it a bit here. You won't find Florida favored in, in, in a lot of these games here. But at South Carolina, the ESPN FBI has Florida 58.9, basically around 60% chance of beating South Carolina at South Carolina. And then, of course, the lowest one on the schedule, Georgia gives Florida 13.8% chance percent chance to beat Georgia. Uh, and as you said, Will, you alluded to it earlier the week after that, Okay, you return home, beat, uh, and they have Arkansas as a 66.2% chance for Florida to win that game. At LSU, 18.5% chance for Florida to win that game, says the ESPN FPI. And then favorable right here in the last two games of the season. At Missouri, they give Florida basically a 58% chance. And then Florida State, that game is at home for the Gators, 50.3, basically a toss up right there. Uh, In the end, Will, if you look at ESPN's FBI FBI for Florida, they have Florida at 6.8 wins, basically seven, and 5.2 losses. So basically, they see Florida as a seven and five team. But if you go here and you look at, if you look on the YouTube, you look at the orange, you know, they have Florida eight favorable matchups here for the ESPN FBI. So eight and four, if you want to take it uh for this uh, percentage of chance but as we said
1: florida state pretty much a toss-up tennessee pretty much a toss-up according to the espn fbi yeah i mean you look at the first seven games i can certainly see a scenario where they're five and two or six and one yeah like i can see that scenario doesn't mean it's going to happen but i can see it so to have them at five and a half again i just think it's a little bit of a gift there um Look, they're going to struggle when it comes to Georgia and Arkansas and maybe have – or Georgia and LSU. And maybe having Arkansas and Missouri on either side of that will make it even worse. I think everybody gives Florida State a lot of credit last year for a team that quite honestly was on the ropes against Florida in Tallahassee last year. Um you know, and then Richardson sort of turned into bad Richardson in the second half. And all of a sudden things were things were uh, were tightening up there to the end. But I mean, they were a face mask call away from or a dropped pass on a beautiful throw by Richardson there in the fourth quarter away from having that one slip through their fingers. So Florida hasn't isn't that far off. I mean, I think everybody looks at six and six, and look, I'm somebody who's negative about the recruiting too over the last couple of years, but that's still top 10, top 15 recruiting classes. That's better than just about everybody on the schedule say, for Georgia and LSU. So you should be able to go compete with Kentucky. You should be able to go compete with Tennessee. You should be able to go compete with Florida State. And I think they're going to do that this year. I, I think the the second-year bump that you see in, in schools is a real thing where you sort of weeded out the guys who didn't want to be a part of the program. The portal seems to make that a little bit easier these days to do that. Florida's certainly going with a youth movement, but I think that youth movement, we've already seen ETN and Shamar James and Kamari Wilson and those sorts of guys step forward. The question is going to be depth. Right. And by the time you get to that George, Arkansas, LSU stretch, are you a mash unit where you've got a bunch of guys out and, you know, your quarterback isn't able to get the ball down the field? Maybe you're even on a second quarterback at that point, depending upon what happens on the offensive line. Or have you been able to keep everything together? You've had good injury luck, and you come into that Georgia game feeling kind of good about yourself. Even if you get stomped, it doesn't kill your season because of what the expectations were coming in. So, hey, hold on to that five and a half. Set that as your expectations, and then if what we think happens happens, you'll be pleased with the results, even if it's seven and five, because you thought it would be what's going to be five and five to begin with. Yeah,
0: I mean, you're looking at toss ups there. Will Tennessee? They have as a toss up, pretty much. Um, Kentucky, pretty much uh, a toss up. South Carolina better than a toss-up, but, you know, I think we kind of know that, that that's a toss-up game for Florida when you sit there and look at it. Arkansas. You know, that's so we got, what, Tennessee, Kentucky, so that's two, South Carolina three, Arkansas four, Missouri five. I mean, look, there's five games out there that will probably determine how we think about this Florida team. You know, games that are winnable, games as far as recent history shows, Florida should be winning those games. That's a recent history as far as, you know, when Florida became a contender, you know, those are games Florida wins. Yeah, and, you know, you get back to that, as you said, you know, you're a young team. There's are things Florida's got to figure out along the way. i uh, got that young team going out on the road versus Utah in a very, very tough environment that they're going to be ready for on a Thursday night. But, you know, there's other games where what well, we pretty much call them toss ups. I mean, you go, you go three and two in those games. And OK, you know, Florida's probably, as you said, I, I think beating that five and a half.
1: Well, I think you can add Kentucky into that, right? FBI has that at 48.4. Yeah. It's at Kentucky, but again, no Levis, we'll see what that means. Um, you know, Kentucky has struggled when they haven't had quarterback play. They've been able to squeak out a couple of 10-win seasons. It's a good program, but it's nothing where, you know, they haven't stomped Florida. There have been a couple of times where they've beaten the Gators recently, but it, I mean, that's been such a one-sided rivalry that I just look at it and say I think that will eventually turn around. But again, you said so if you've got Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri, and Florida State as, as toss-ups, and then yeah, you've got Arkansas, the must-win yeah. and Arkansas, yeah, but I, I mean, think Arkansas, yeah. uh, I think Arkansas. Right, well, well, so again, you go three and three there, and then you have McNeese, Charlotte, and Vanderbilt. You're at six, yeah, right. So it, it's it, like I actually like I will be surprised if Florida goes six and seven. I will be. I think I think Florida's going to be better this year. I think there is um, there's a lot to be said for. You could tell that Napier did not have confidence in his team in general last year because of the way he waffled and the way he changed the way he coached. Now, look, maybe I'll be wrong and maybe he'll change, maybe he'll be, maybe he'll waffle and maybe he'll change the way he coaches (laughs) in different games this year. And then I'll be incredibly critical about it. But the way he coached against Tennessee last year, is i think the way he wants to coach and if he does that and does that throughout the year i think they're going to end up with a good with a good record in one score games and the fact that you've got so many toss-ups means i think they probably come out ahead
0: that's a good point, Will. I mean, you know, how much does it change if he has a defense he trusts? Like, I do think the reason he coached in that Tennessee game the way he coached was because <laughs> he, didn't be, he didn't believe in that defense. So he was taking a little bit more chances. But that was kind of his MO2 at Louisiana. And as you said, kind of for the season, he was a little more aggressive uh, than the, probably other coaches out there. In some of those fourth down calls, some of their even third down calls, knowing that he's going to go for it on fourth down, I do.
1: If a better defense does show up for Florida, how much does that change his aggression? I mean, I thought. I thought he was aggressive against Kentucky, maybe even overly aggressive. Yes, I thought he was yes. aggressive against Tennessee, and that was necessary in that game. And then I thought he went into a shell a little bit the second half of the year. I did not think he was as aggressive as, as the season wore on, and I think that actually might have cost him a game or two when he was doing it. But, you know, again, I go back and I look at um, – I look at what he was dealing with, a really inconsistent quarterback who was turning the ball over and then a defense that couldn't stop anybody and go, you know, if you're giving up 45 points to everybody, I'm not sure what you do. Um, you know, no matter what decision you make, it's not going to matter because if you turn the ball over, then your defense <laughs> then your defense yeah. just gives up a touchdown. And, and if you go and make it, it doesn't matter. The minute you kick the ball back to Tennessee, they're just going to go the other direction and score a touchdown anyway. So, um, I, yes, having, having just solid play, In those areas i don't know that it needs to be outstanding play just solid play where you can get a three and out where it is possible to get a three and out where it is possible to get a third down stop where he's not telling himself where
0: he's not telling himself we can't stop him Maybe he could actually ask himself, maybe we can stop him. Well, I
1: mean, it would be nice if we could stop Vanderbilt. How about that? Let's, (laughs) let's start with, let's start with getting a third down stop and getting off the field against Vanderbilt. I actually think, you know, it's funny. We're, we're Nick and I are working on this preseason magazine. It's going to be coming out pretty soon. And, and we've been going through, or one of the things I've been writing this week is the, just sort of summary on the defense and the defensive line and the linebackers and the safeties and the cornerbacks. Oh, there it is. And, 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 I'm more encouraged going through that than I have been in a long time sort of looking at this. So, yeah, you know, look, people know that I tend to be pretty critical when it comes to this sort of stuff. People even accuse me of being overly critical. But, um, you know, as I'm going through this stuff and looking at the numbers and looking at the players and that sort of stuff, I have pretty high hopes for where this is going to go. Again, high hopes relative to a five and a half over yes, under. right? But high hopes regardless, right? I think I think that's going to be a an effective... Uh, yeah, you know, I think they're going to be better this year than people think.
0: Well, before we get into some recruiting, update us on that Read and Reaction preseason magazine.
1: Yeah, so you can still go pre-order right now. It's readreaction.com slash mag. That's readandreaction.com slash mag. We're giving it out in hard copy this year if you want it hard copy. We had requests last year for that. Um, you got a couple of days left and then the price is going to go up. Um, so May 10th is the last day to pre-order it at the existing price. That's because we're going to order them in bulk and then afterwards we're going to have to order them in like groups of 10. It's more expensive to do that. So if you want it, go over there to readreaction.com slash mag. You can get a hard copy of the magazine. We're still going to have a digital copy like we did last year. So on Memorial Day, when it launches, um, you'll be able to go over there, order it. It'll show up right in your email box on Memorial Day. Um, and then we'll probably have another run right around Father's Day, right before Father's Day. So if you miss this one, there'll be an opportunity to get a little bit later as well for Father's Day. But uh, you know, it's going to be 70, 75 pages. Actually, I think we've zeroed in on 76 pages of Florida Gator-only content um, like I said, we're doing, we're doing analysis of, of the different positions. We've got all the stuff about recruiting that you could want in there. Nick did this really cool thing with maps where he looked at the distance of each recruit from, mm-hmm. uh, um, for each of the different programs. So we always talk about drawing that circle around the state of Florida and, and what Billy Napier can do. And you can actually really see some really cool stuff when you look at Florida versus Georgia and South Carolina, some of the other programs and where they stand. Um, and then I'm doing something new this year. we we're going to have a, an entire section that are just film breakdowns so it'll it's uh, a cool interactive feature where you'll be able to scan a qr code that'll take you to youtube to the actual clip and then we're diagramming the play and explaining exactly what was going on with billy napier and then some with austin armstrong as well when he was at southern miss being able to understand what he's going what's what he's doing with his defense and things like that so i think that's gonna be a really cool feature that people are going to enjoy so that you can sort of um you know, talk to people about what's going on on the field, hopefully, once the season starts, because you will have already seen a lot of these concepts in the magazine. There we go.
0: ReadMeAction.com slash mag to get your read in reaction preseason magazine. So, all right, let's turn the page to Recruiting Will. And of course, um, probably the biggest headline uh, over the weekend, I'd say Jeremiah Smith, number one. Receiver in the country, one of the top players in the country, uh, said he was going to visit Florida. Uh, so, okay, maybe not, no huge surprise there. We, we, we figured a visit would happen there. Of course, committed to Ohio State right now, but was going to originally visit on June the 9th. And then almost as soon as that was announced, changed it to the weekend of June the 2nd. And that's the same weekend as DJ Lagway, quarterback commit for the Gators, same weekend that he's visiting. Uh, so great to see those two back together. But, Will, of course, you know, big news for the top wide receiver in the country, one of the top players in the country as well. Now, look, I still think Ohio State, as of this moment, I think that would be a choice uh, when he signs on signing day. Uh, but, you know, need to chip away here, and visits are a way to do that. And but well, I, I can't believe uh, – I saw over the weekend, I saw the notion that, you know, this isn't a big deal. Getting him on campus isn't a big deal. There's no benefit. Why waste the time? Because he's going to Ohio State anyway. What? I mean, I, could, I, I, yeah, I can't believe. I mean, look, I think he's going to Ohio State when it's all said and done. But you know what? Just in case he doesn't, you have to put yourself in position to take advantage. Who knows? what In, in today's college football, who knows what's going to happen uh, right now? Heartline could leave Ohio State. Ryan Day could leave Ohio State, go to the NFL, take Heartline with him. Maybe he doesn't become the head coach at Ohio State. But, you know, just, I mean, anything can happen. I'd say he still goes to Ohio State, but you put yourself in position. If something crazy happens at Ohio State, if something crazy happens at another school, you don't say, no, we're not going to let him visit because why waste of time? You know, you never know, Will, in today's college football, what will happen down the road. Say, Ryan, Day leaves. After his freshman season, and they bring a new staff in, and he hits the transfer portal. You know, he's still going to remember these visits he took to Florida in the relationship he may have built with DJ Lagway and Billy Napier and Billy Gonzalez in the coming weeks and the coming months. So, you know, this notion of it doesn't, you know, he's an Ohio State commit, he's not coming to Florida, it doesn't matter. You know, if a top guy, it, I mean, if you want to host anybody, you, you you're, as a coaching staff, you do it anyway. But one of the top players in the country, one right now, people are labeling some of the best wide receiver play they've seen in quite some time.
1: You let this kid visit whenever he wants to. I mean, well said. I, I'm sitting here going, uh, not trying is a loser mentality. And, then, and, is, you, and if you want to be a loser, we slammed quit trying. Jim
0: McElwain and Dan Mullen for, did not want to get in these big boy battles.
1: Well, and look, I mean, partly because they had people coming after him and saying, well, you're not going to do it anyway. Now, look, the other thing is is that things have changed over the last six months in Gainesville. They, I, I think, you know, you got that big Florida victorious thing over there over your shoulder. That's a new development within Florida's system, ecosystem of of recruiting. The The Florida law where they can now coordinate with some of the NIL organizations is part of a new ecosystem that Florida is dealing with. Now, you can have an argument that maybe they should have ignored that anyway, but <laughs> – they didn't, right? And so they were at a disadvantage when it came to recruiting against some people, and that disadvantage has been closed. And so if Florida Victorious is doing its job, if, if Billy Napier and his staff are doing their job, then the, the ecosystem for the recruiting should have changed, which means that the the timing where Jeremiah Smith made that decision to go to Ohio State has changed. And so since that's changed, you got to show them what's changed. And you just – look, I mean – recruiting is 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 constant and it's a chip away chip away chip away at each of the different recruits and look maybe jeremiah smith decides not to come there but maybe somebody who you can go and recruit and say look we had jeremiah smith in here we like you better and you're the 12th ranked wide receiver in the country or something like that or you know hey don't you want to come to a place where the number one wide receiver is coming and considering like yeah, it's going to stink when you lose. And, and and at some point, like it stings when the number two player in the country decides not to flip to where you're at. But if you never try... Like, I mean, I, it's one of those things I've made the joke before that there are sales guys out there who must've gotten married to the first woman who asked them just because they never learned how to say no to a customer. Like, <laughs> I, I think it's the same thing when it comes to recruiting. Like you just have to ask and ask and ask and ask. And sometimes a pretty girl's going to say she wants to go with somebody else. But if you never ask, you're never going to have that person go with you to any of the, to any of the dances. And so look, you got to dance in recruiting when it comes to building a championship program, having a guy on for an for an official visit, right? It's yes. not an unofficial. He's not just randomly visiting. Maybe he and DJ Lagway become like best friends while he's here. They already seem to have a pretty tight relationship. All of a sudden they become just like best friends and start talking about being able to play together. And that makes the decision a little bit more difficult. And he goes, you know what? Well, maybe if the maybe if the NIL deal was a little bit sweeter, I would go ahead and make a change. And all of a sudden now Ohio State feels a little bit offended because he's Sort of asking for more than what the original deal was, and you know, it just thought, like you can see how those sorts of things start to steamroll. And he's seventeen freaking years old. He might be homesick. We're, yeah, I mean, when you're seventeen years old. When I was seventeen years old, I I'm 41. I still don't know what I want to do when I grow <laughs> up, man. So when you're 17, like, and you're making a decision, like, all of a sudden, some guy you're friends with says, "Hey, why don't we come here and team up?" You go, "Well, that sounds kind of good." And then you know Brian Hartline gives you a phone call, and you're like, "Yeah, do you guys have a DJ Lagway coming in?" And well, it's Ohio State. So they'd say, "Yeah, we got four of them lined up." But um, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, there's just so much stuff that can happen, and I I, I don't understand. Th- this is the thing. Like a lot of people will get upset when I'm like, "Look, 13th, 14th, 15th, and recruiting isn't good enough." And and the reason it's not good enough is there's six SEC teams, or seven SEC teams that have just beaten you. Yeah. And it always flummoxes me when people are okay with that. So they're going, no, I want to beat them on the field. I want to beat them in recruiting. I want to beat them in academics. I want to beat them in swimming. I want to beat them in basketball. Like, you know, I want to beat them at every sport they can because I want Florida to be the top tier university when it comes to everything, not just just academics, not just football, not just anything like that. And recruiting is part of that. So I don't want to be a loser when it comes to that sort of stuff. Seventh place sucks. It doesn't matter where you are. It's just bad. And so, um, you know, I, I think one of the, you don't, Ever get to number two or number three in the country without asking the top recruits to come? That's the one place that Billy Napier just hasn't been able to close the deal yet. Whether it was Harold Perkins, or whether it was last year with Okalola, and then the stuff that went on with Rashada, like he has not closed the deal with those elite guys yet. He's got Lagway in 2024, but if you could get Lagway and Jeremiah Smith, it's interesting. I was looking back the other day at Urban Myers bump class. Just about all of the All SEC guys that came out of that 2006 class for his for his bump class were spikes t-bone harvin like <laughs> like it was like i think there were like 14 all sec seasons that came out of there there were a couple for uh for jermaine cunningham there was one or two for brandon james as a special teamer but then everything else was basically harvin t-bone spikes and so you bring in a class with harvin t-bone spikes and look lagway <laughs> and and smith you're getting pretty close and you got the you got linebackers coming in who are pretty good too. I think there's an opportunity there to sort of put together that core. And when you have an opportunity to do it, you got to take the swing.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So well, big img group visit this past weekend here for the Gators. And of course, you got Najee Harris, last cycle. Uh, f- from IMG, but you know, seeing time as, as a true freshman uh, this spring for the Gators along the offensive line. But another offensive lineman from IMG, Jordan Seaton, 6'5", offensive tackle. Of course, that's a, a, a position the Gators really need to hit. Uh, some elite talent, some top talent at the uh, offensive tackle position. He's a top 50 offensive lineman overall. Uh, would be a future left tackle for the Gators. Maybe start out as a guard, but could play some left tackle for the Gators. Uh, merger programs, Ohio State, Bama involved there as well. Uh, Florida's best shot, I, I think, at this moment of getting a top target uh, from the high school ranks as far as the tackle goes, did well in the interior last cycle. Did the Gators with Harris and Kearney, uh, but need to hit, you know, better along the offensive tackle spot there uh, for the Gators offensive. Uh, defensive lineman, David Stone. He's a five-star defensive lineman that may be hard to pull away from the Midwest, Oklahoma, or Texas A&M. He's an Oklahoma native, but did say a conversation with Coach Napier is one of the best conversations he's ever had with a head coach. I think there's interest There in Florida. So we'll see if Florida can keep chipping away at this one as he looks to set up a visit the first week of June. Uh, Some ground to make up there, but one visit here helped. And hopefully, um, you know, the official uh, goes another step. We'll talk uh, Todd in Jonathan Eccles in just a second, Will. But talking trench talk here from IMG here with Jordan Seaton and defensive lineman David Storm.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, so Seton obviously is, what, a top 60 recruit overall in the 24-7 composite. There aren't a lot of those guys in the state of Florida. Now, look, he's from D.C., and then then he's at IMG, so he's not really a Florida guy, but you've got a guy who's in that circle who's close to you and is going to have connections and other guys. You know, look, I mean, the big deal with Kamari Wilson coming was not necessarily that it was just Kamari Wilson. It was that now you have a pipeline. You have somebody to tell you what it's like to play for Billy Napier and, you know, you're not wondering, is the coach just pulling wool over your eyes when he's talking to you? It's, is it actually a unique relationship? Is it, a, you know, is he genuine? Those sorts of things. You can get those sorts of answers, not the pipelines opened up. Same thing with Najee Harris. So guys like Seton and, and, and Stone, these are guys who are going to have that information. Now, I'm less concerned about the defensive line than I am about the offensive line at this point. Um, they brought in some good transfers through the portal, but transfers are just sort of putting a bandaid on a bullet hole and for a year or two you can paper it over and eventually you're going to you're going to pay the piper if you don't have offensive linemen. Florida for some reason just does not produce high high quality offensive linemen the same way that some other states do, which means it's more difficult for the Gators to bring in those high high level talent offensive line guys or you got to find sort of diamonds in the rough. The pounces I think, were rated in like the 250 to 350 range. We're able to bring those guys in, and obviously, you know, they, they they were very successful at Florida and in the NFL. So Seton is the guy I look at and say these are the guys they have to hit on, um, not necessarily just because of the overall ranking, but because of the dearth of offensive linemen in the state, <clears throat> typically in the state of Florida where you can go out and get talented guys at the receiver position or even on the defensive line or even at linebacker. But When it comes to offensive line, there just haven't been a lot of those guys in the state of florida and so that means it's resource heavy you got to go outside of the state to bring those guys in and it's a a little bit more difficult to bring them into a program now look i think you know osiris Torrance and mazuka if he succeeds and and some of the other guys that they brought in if they turn into nfl quality players and they got something to sell and and so i think they'll be able to sell the two offensive line coaches and look at all the guys we're putting in the nfl and that sort of stuff but as of right now it's still a little bit dicey especially considering some of the folks they're competing against so look seaton's a guy who who has offers from alabama and whenever alabama wants an offensive lineman that's somebody that you want too mm-hmm. and so um, you know I, I look at it and say yeah let's go win that battle same thing man like do we not want him to be on a on a official visit <laughs> right. because he might go to alabama is that uh, is that the where we are now we're just going to roll over and give up Bring this guy in, man. Top fifty IMG. You got you got a you got a guy in the state. You got or sort of in the state. You got to make sure you keep him there.
0: All right, well, let's go to tight end position because this one might be clearing up a little bit uh, as far as targets go. We'll stay at IMG right now. Tight end Johnson Eccles. He's a Tennessee commit right now. Top one hundred athlete, but wants to play tight end in college. That is the position he's playing now at IMG. Uh, opening. He's open to listening to others, uh, even though he's committed to the Vols. Needs to get to know Russ Calloway better. Of course, the new tight end coach there for the Gators. But uh, look, that's it from IMG. These three guys, Johnson Eccles, right here at tight end. But we'll stick with tight end uh, in this position group for a couple more targets. Of course, the the big one, Walter Matthews, has Florida in his top two he announced along with USC. So Florida and USC battle right now for Walter Matthews. Four-star tight end from Georgia. Visited this past weekend. Florida has been in good shape with this one. Uh, some wonder how the coaching change with Russ Callaway taking over would change things, but he came away impressed with meeting with Calloway and how Florida would use him. Another first week of June visitor for Florida would Lagway Jeremiah Smith on campus as well. A decision coming from the fall, uh, likely in the fall there, but hopefully Florida just blows that visit out of the way, gets their tight end in the fold. Probably uh, Walter Matthews, some really good feelings uh, to go along with that one too. But, uh, and then uh, also Corey Bender from own three reporting that four star uh, he's a four-star on three. He's a three-star on 24-7, but tied in, uh, Eric Carter in play as well. Former Purdue commit from Illinois, 6'5", 220, set up a visit for June the 9th. Uh, other offers from Alabama, Auburn, A&M, Michigan State, Iowa, Arkansas, Louisville, Pittsburgh, among others. Thought Iowa, Michigan State, the Aggies, Bama, along with Florida, as the other schools mentioned, as maybe favorites right now. Uh, but, Will, those three, maybe we got some clarity on the tight end position right
1: now. Yeah. I mean, look, I think these are different guys. I mean, you've got Matthews yeah. who's six seven two forty five. 45. You got Eccles who's six foot four, two thirty. So th- those are different guys in terms of their overall size skill. You th- look at Matthews and you start thinking, Darnell no, Washington is what I think <laughs> when I see, th- when I see those sorts of stats down, like you said, to Florida and USC, um, Look, that's a big-time battle considering Lincoln Riley out there in USC. It's not going to be easy, but you do have the home field advantage in that Hiram George is a whole lot closer to Florida than, than it is to Los Angeles. And so, um, you know, again, we talk about putting that circle around Gainesville, and maybe you're broadening a little bit to get out to Hiram, but um, – it's a whole lot closer than Los Angeles, so that's one that you hope Florida can win. Eccles, you know, again, you're gonna have to flip him from Tennessee. That's a hard one, just because the Vols and the Gators hate each other so much. <laughs> so you are sort of opening yourself up to criticism. I think sometimes that sort of stops it. Like if you're if you're a Tennessee commit and you go to like Ole Miss or you go to Mississippi State or something like that, they're like, all right, whatever. But if you if you go from Tennessee to Florida or Tennessee to Alabama, I think at that point people start to start to look at it and say, all right, what are you what are you really doing here? But you know, again, Eccles is the guy who's got Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas, Cincinnati, and Florida on his list. So um high, high quality tight ends, and we know they need it, right? I mean, yeah, basically you got Jonathan Odom who's hurt. You got Keon Zipper who's hurt, you got Dante Zanders who was, you know, underwhelming last year during the regular season. Then you got a bunch of young guys who haven't really played and so um, these are also young guys who haven't really played yet but you're going to have to hit on some of them and so i would not be surprised if they take multiple tight ends and like i said these guys have different profiles in terms of their size which means that you know in a lot of the two tight end sets that billy napier is going to run you'll be able to get both of them out on the field at the same time if that's really what you want to do and so these guys will get plenty of playing time if they decide to come and i think that's one of the big selling points that napier is going to be making
0: Right, well, let's get to one of the bigger news items of this Monday here. And Jordan Pride, and as we've been on this episode, is now announcing that he's going to commit tomorrow. Uh, and earlier today, he has been crystal balled to Texas A&M. Uh, first by Steve Wilfong from 24-7 and then some picks of another 24 Blake Alderman from Swamp 24-7, putting a pick for Pride to A&M. Uh, and also, you know, uh, a lot of on three picks as well now for Jordan Pride uh, and going to the Aggies. So, decommitted, of course, from Florida State a few weeks ago. Florida was thought to be the next landing spot uh, for the safety Jordan Pride. A&M's always been in the mix, but a visit there this past weekend may have swung things uh, in this recruitment in favor of the Aggies. Florida has recruited him. They like his versatility. There are concerns. Will did confirm that. There are concerns with the knee injury. Um, so the priority may not be as high, but I believe from what everything I've been told would still be a take at the same time uh, with Florida, but not would not be too caught up in emotion <laughs> if he goes somewhere else. Uh, Phil Semi already in the fold. Josiah Davis already committed as well. And here, look, there's other options on the board for the Gators too. Xavier Mincy, uh, 131st player overall from Daytona, can play both safety and cornerback. He's an option at both spots. Uh, and the staff will still try and continue To flip Jalen Hayward, forty-second overall player from Georgia, and safety committed to the Dogs right now. So Florida still some other options out there for the Gators, Uh, but Jordan probably making his announcement on Tuesday. And with the recent trends or anything, Will looks like Texas A&M will be the pick and not Florida.
1: Well, if, uh, Cormani McLean taught me anything it's that recent trends usually <laughs> don't mean much of anything because I already had my welcome to the Gators article written and all of a sudden he was going to Miami. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then wound up not going to Miami as well, but, uh, um, the interesting thing is, if you go to twenty four seven, Andrew Ivans has pride and, as and his main comparison is Trey Dean. Trey Dean, yeah. and so uh, you know, you look at that. And you go, I'm not sure Gators fans were going to get all excited about a guy who's comparing a safety to Trey Dean, given what we saw last year. And look, I, I joke a little bit. I think Dean contributed a lot to the organization, but obviously was not um, was not a difference maker. And I think that's the question with these guys. He's ranked eighty fourth nationally. Those aren't can't miss prospects, but they're very good prospects, and you need to chain those guys together. So I'd love Love to have pride in the class, but like you mentioned, they already have a couple of safeties in the class already. Um and uh that's an area they're gonna hit pretty hard just because uh just because they got a lot of youth there, right? I mean they're starting two sophomore safeties this year. Um unless they bring in more guys to the transfer portal, it's gonna be Kamari Wilson, Miguel Mitchell. And uh, you know, those guys I think are gonna have some bumps in the road as we start the season, especially. And you know, we'll see how they grow into that role, but they're gonna need more and more talent at that position. Um look, it's become like defense has become nickel and dime packages and so you need versatile yeah. guys at safety and pride is one of those guys and so if you have an opportunity to bring them in even if you got some concerns about a knee injury you do it and honestly the way the transfer portal works these days unless somebody has to take a medical red shirt because of an injury like if they just aren't performing because of an injury and they transfer someplace else it doesn't really hurt you that much in terms of the overall numbers and so i do think that that taking a guy who might be an injury risk, but has that sort of versatility at a position of need and a position that is just needed throughout college football is something that Florida would be wise to do.
0: All right. And a couple more items in recruiting before we sign off here. Hosted Houston transfer running back Alton McCaskill uh, on one of the top skill players in the portal will a winner of the AAC rookie of the year in 2021 season. Rushed for 961 yards, 5.1 yard average per attempt, uh, 16 touchdowns in 14 contests. McCaskill also recorded 21 receptions for 113 yards and two scores. Towards ACL last spring about a year ago, so he didn't get to build on that performance. Three years left. Uh, and I did see a whole lot, Will, over social media and Gators Breakdown Plus Discord. Why running back? Why running back are we targeting in the transfer portal this year? Florida stacked that running back. Look, this is a future move uh, for Florida. You know, we don't know what this, what the future holds for the running back spot. Monterey Johnson could go uh, to the NFL draft. Um, uh, Cam Carroll uh, only one year at Florida as well. So, you know, it leaves you with ETN, Webb, and, uh, of course, some commits uh, that Florida has. But, you know, you, this would give you, uh, if he ended up committing to Florida, some depth for, you know, this is, uh, this is not a 2023 move season move this is more of a down the road guy who's already proven at at, at a level here at AAC uh you know was the best freshman running back in the AAC that year uh, at Houston. You know, not, Houston is not some small program out there in the AAC, so you impressed there at Houston with, with Dana Holgerson. Uh I think, I think you can do some good things there at, at Florida. Well. well, Florida brought him on campus this past weekend. No, no no, issue with it. And, look, I know there's other needs in the portal, but this is a future move, not an immediate move for 2023. If you have the room, you know, if you're, uh, hopefully, and I'm sure the staff is doing it the right way of not forcing – other positions out just to bring McCaskill in. But if you got the room for him, he wants to come to Florida. I see no issue with it. Uh, He was a 406th overall player in the 2021 class, 27th running back, produced as a true freshman at Houston.
1: Let me ask you, what position did we see on Florida last year where we went, wow, we don't need anybody else there? Like we we don't, we don't criticize Georgia. You look at Georgia and the quarterback competition they have this year. It's two, four, it's two, five stars and a four star. And you're sitting there going, how are those guys in there? You look at Ole Miss bringing in like three transfers this year, (laughs) all at the same position and go, what do they do? Like, why would those guys go there? And you just look at, you go, the, the schools that do well are the ones that stockpile talent everywhere and so don't let scholarships go to waste don't play with 82 or 83 scholarship players because you didn't want to bring in some guy for need bring in the best players you can bring in and then let the chips fall where they may and if mccaskill beats out johnson and etn then you're better than you were and if he doesn't beat out johnson and etn then he can transfer someplace else at the end of the <laughs> year or he can take over when those guys leave but the idea that you'd want to avoid competition that you wouldn't want to bring people in when there's no when there's no penalty for doing it i think is the thing that you got to look at so in the past when you had limits in the number of counters that you could have with transfers where you brought in a where you brought in a transfer And that meant you couldn't bring in a high school kid. That made a huge difference. And so Florida had signed 28 and 29 guys in the last two high school cycles. Well, now bringing in a guy like McCaskill would have a negative impact because you would be limiting what you could do in the next recruiting class by bringing him in because of scholarships and also because of the counter system and the way that works. They don't have that problem right now. They're they, they're not at eighty five scholarships. They signed I think nineteen guys in two years ago and twenty this year. And so you know you're allowed to sign extra guys for guys who go out the transfer portal. And there have been plenty of guys who transferred out. So Florida, from a numbers perspective, doesn't have a crunch. And so if you've got a guy who's skilled who plays a position, even if a, even if the position is stacked, you bring him in because you have the numbers to do so. So unless it means they're not bringing in a, t- uh, a tight end or a quarterback, I'm not <laughs> re- I don't really have an issue with it. And, look, they still got the space to bring in those guys too. So um, look, McCaskill's put up some stats when he's had the opportunity. Um, certainly I think you know, you'd look at the medicals of somebody who's had knee injuries like that at the running back position. But an ACL injury is just a year injury at this point. It's not career-ending. It's not career-threatening. Guys get back to what they were pretty quickly. And uh, you know, more competition anywhere on this team is a good thing. Like, compete, compete, compete. Have guys to replace the guys who are not performing. That's how you're going to get better.
0: All right, Will. Uh, I did a full episode on it. And, of course, Gators get their first wide receiver commit uh, last week. Last Friday, Isaiah Williams, four-star on the 24-7 sports composite and the on three industry rankings, 325 overall, 48th wide receiver on 24-7, 297th overall on, on three, and the 50th wide receiver Um Yeah, speedster there for the Gators at the wide receiver spot. Honestly, you know, he's here. We, you know, six foot, 172 pounds. I remember, and I put it in that episode, the running joke of Billy Gonzalez. He only wants the big, slow, prodding, go up and get them type of receivers. Uh, Well, his first receiver recruit back under Billy Napier, six foot, 172, and a guy that can run.
1: Yeah, Williams is underrated. I think you're going to see him fly up, dry, fly up the recruiting boards pretty soon. Last year, he only caught six passes because of injuries. He caught 34 the year before as a sophomore. So this year, he's going to have an opportunity to show what he can do if he can stay healthy. I think you're going to see a lot of people who who you know they're putting him at a four star, three twenty five for the twenty four seven or two ninety seven for on three, like you've got on your. Uh, on your graphic here the reason he's there is because he hasn't been able to stay healthy and because the skills that he's shown at camps and other things like that have not necessarily translated over to the field yet now i mean that could be a glasses half full or glasses half empty thing right it's like oh okay this is somebody who can't stay healthy that's gonna be a problem or it's somebody who's undervalued and it was a collarbone, so like more than likely a freak injury but still well, but again, I mean, it's it's glasses half empty, glasses half full. I can yeah. understand why you look at it, which is why he's sitting in a range where people go, this is a blue-chip recruit, but not a can't-miss recruit. I don't know whether he's going to rise up to can't-miss recruit by the time the season's over, but if he can stay healthy, I think you're going to see him jump up into that 100, 125 range by the time things are over. When you look at his tape, you can see the speed. You can see the separation. And again, this goes back to um, this goes back to just everything about keeping guys in the state of Florida in the state of Florida and Williams continues that trend. And you think about the three guys you brought in last year mm-hmm. and you've managed to have somebody else come in on the back end. Who's a blue chip recruit. You got to start stacking these guys, right? I don't, I don't know necessarily that Eugene Wilson and Mizell and, and Jean are all going to work out, but now you add Isaiah Wilson Williams and you're going to add another, hopefully two wide receiver recruits this cycle. And if you end up with a guy who's ranked like, 50th, a guy who's 100th, and a guy who's 300th. Well, now you've stacked two solid wide receiver recruiting classes back-to-back, and nobody's going to be talking about on a CBS game where Florida doesn't have the ability to generate separation at wide receiver. So Williams is a part of that, right? And they clearly are putting an emphasis on speed when it comes to this. They are finding guys who run track. And bringing those guys in and, you know, look, that's the way Urban Meyer won. He got speed out in space. And Napier has a little bit different approach on offense. But look, offense for football is the same no matter where you go. Get your speed out in space and let and let them take it out. You know, short throw, high completion percentage and let the let the receiver do the work. And, uh, you know, Williams is a guy who hopefully will contribute to that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned stacking talent there, T.J. Moore. I think you start feeling good about him, too, at the wide receiver position, 179th overall, uh, a top 25 wide receiver, uh, 29th in the state of Florida. So, I mean, you're looking at a top 20, top 25 uh, receiver. I mean, 24-7 sports. own rankings has him as a 126 overall. So, as you're saying, the three guys you brought in last, uh, two Tampa area guys, one you got committed here with Isaiah Smith, hopefully T.J. Moore uh, up next. I mean, you, you really are turning this room around.
1: Well, and Flip Smith, and all of a sudden things look (laughs) really different, right? So, I mean, look, there's an opportunity here for, and this has been one of the things that's really been encouraging, is there's an opportunity for this 2024 recruiting class to be top two. Yeah. Top three, somewhere in that range. Last year, you were warning me about this time of year. I don't think it's going to happen, Will. I think we're going to sit there at like eight or nine. It turned out it was worse than that, and we probably would have wound up eight or nine if Rashada had yeah. ended up in the class. So it wound up right around where you were thinking it was going to be. And I'm sitting there going, "Oh, really? Like we brought him in to fix this, and it hasn't been fixed yet." But it looks like it's starting to turn around. And so, look, you got to deliver. You got to bring these guys in. But that's that's why we just had a 10 minute rant on why you bring in Jeremiah Smith <laughs> because you got to turn it around, and Smith makes like it was the same thing on offensive line this year. The offensive line class for Florida was actually pretty good for the 2023 class. The problem is it didn't have that anchor. And if you yeah. had Oakland Lola in there with everyone else that they brought in with Najee Harris with uh with Kearney and and all of a sudden you look at the offensive line through that lens because you have Oakland Lola, everything looks awesome. So it's sort of the same thing here. Like Williams is going to be a very good player. I think he's going to be a contributor. He's certainly going to help the competition in the room. But you kind of have to grade this recruit through the lens of all the other recruits who come in through the class, and uh, you know, again, Smith sort of changes the the prism through which we're looking at everything. If they can manage to flip him,
0: all right, there we go. Oh, that's a good episode. Glad to be back with you, Will.
1: Yeah, man. Well, it's funny because two weeks ago you gave me the week off and I completely forgot I was traveling for work. <laughs> so it's like my wife reminded me I was out of town on like Saturday or something like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm traveling somewhere. <laughs> it's been that kind of summer, man, or that kind of spring with, uh, with all the stuff going on. So, so yeah, it's been a couple of weeks, but uh, yeah. been buried trying to get this magazine done, man. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And it's also reinvigorated me. Mm. for the season I, I got to admit I think and and we can feel this with the fan base, is there's not a lot of optimism for 2023 it sort of sinks going into the season knowing you're not going to be competing for the playoff and you know I don't think any of us have any illusions that Florida is going to be competing for the playoff and so with that comes just sort of a malaise and one of the cool parts has been as you dive into it you go well there's a place they can improve and is it reasonable yeah, it's reasonable. Okay, well, there's another place they can improve. Is it reasonable? And so I keep waiting for the announcement of what quarterbacks coming in through the transfer portal, because if they can if they can pull an elite quarterback through the transfer portal, it completely changes the tenor of everything. Because I think they're going to be a lot better in a lot of different places. And the question is, what's going to happen at quarterback, and can they offset it? Now, um, you know, I think there's some cool stuff that Napier does on offense, and that's been one of the other cool parts is looking through that. But um, but I, I'm I'm much more optimistic about the season now than I was after the Oregon State game or after early signing day or after national signing day or after the spring game, even like you watch that spring game and went, oh, that was every nightmare I thought it might be on the offensive side of the ball. <laughs> um, so certainly a lot of work to do, but uh but like I said, as, as things start ramping up, and maybe this is just the eternal optimist in me as we get close to the season. But everybody knows that there is no eternal optimist in me. So if I'm saying <laughs> that I think, if I'm saying I think there's some underlying reasons to be uh, hopeful, um, you know, I actually do believe it, and and I'm starting to get excited about things.
0: There we go. And Will and I, if we were messaging back over back and forth over the weekend, and I was letting you know, you know, our topics for the night. And I said, like, look, eventually, I do want to do an episode. You know reasons for optimism heading into this season. So you hear Will; he's got some things on his mind. I got some things on my mind. We will do a you know somewhat glass half full because like I, I know, like Will said, I know there's not um there's probably some delays out there. Not many people looking forward to maybe the outcomes. Look, I know we're all looking forward to football, but maybe the outcome, uh, not necessarily. But I think we'll take a look at, at maybe some reasons to feel good uh, about this team, and maybe those good things all turn out and Florida has this big, surprising season. Uh, but I do think, yeah, as Will said, there are some things to look forward to as reasons for optimism. We'll get into that sometime soon here on Gators Breakdown.
1: Yeah, man. Look, I mean, hope is one of the things that Nate. We're all fans. We're all yeah. fans. Well, and the thing is, is that recruiting is trending up, which means the hope is trending yeah. up. The question is, how long do we have to wait for the for the hope? And that actually is one of the things I've been trying to preach in terms of recruiting is that, you know, look, if you think that you can win playoff games, being the 15th ranked team in the country in recruiting, I think you're delusional um, unless you're in the Big Ten – or not the Big Ten, unless you're in the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or something like that, then you might be able to do it. But – the problem with Dan Mullen is he was sitting there at 12th pretty much continuously or ninth pretty much continuously. You weren't actually seeing progress. So the fact that we're seeing progress on that recruiting front makes me go, okay, there's one place where things are changing. So now I look at the defense. All right, we got a new defensive coordinator already. That was the complaint. With with Mullen, right? I mean, the the dedication and the and the loyalty to Grantham that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Okay, well, there's another place you might see an improvement. And then you look at the offensive line and say these guys have. There's a lot of turnover there, but these guys have a reputation for bringing guys along, and they identified these guys in the portal. So let's see. So I think there's a lot of things that you look at and say things could be better if they roll right. There's a lot of things where you get a couple of injuries, and you go oh, but you know. I think that's the way it is every season, unless you're Georgia or Alabama or somebody like that. And look, there's a lot of questions in Alabama. I mean, they just brought in a guy through the transfer portal at quarterback because they didn't like their two options during the spring game. Um, You know, obviously with Bryce Young leaving, yes, Stetson Bennett leaving at Georgia. There's been a lot of turnover this year in the SEC, and there's always, always teams that surprise you. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not saying Florida's going to win the playoff, but I would honestly, I'd take five and seven if there was a win over Georgia. So you know, it also depends on what the expectations are, man. You just gotta. There, there's always that. Like there is hope that we can beat Georgia until that game is over. And so uh, hold on to that, and it'll be a fun season. All right, there
0: we go. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that episode sometime soon. I know what we're here. May um, preseason magazine to be out sometime in the next month or so. So we'll we'll do our annual uh, recap of those things and all that coming up. But recruiting will definitely be hot and heavy over the next month all these visits coming up uh beginning of june first couple of weeks of june so of course we'll have you covered right here on gators breakdown so all right that'll do it for this episode for will i'm your host david waters you can find me on twitter at GatorDave underscore sec guys and girls out there thank you for joining us on this episode of gators breakdown